Today's sermon comes with a visual aid. If you look on the cover of your bulletins, you have, there are two illustrations, which didn't reproduce quite as well as I'd hoped, of the Book of Job, which is the source of our first reading today, from the English poet William Blake. So keep these drawings in the back of your head a little bit as you hear the story of Job, which might be familiar already to some of you. So the story of Job begins with a kind of fairy tale-like start. Job is a deeply good man, we learn. He follows God. He's a great head of his family. He's blessed with sheep and cattle and camels and oxen. All of his family surrounds him with great feasts, and he lives in joy. And the Lord sits on his throne in heaven, surrounded by the angels, delighting in Job's goodness. And then Satan, which in Hebrew is Hasatan, the accuser, comes into the presence of God, and God says, Have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen how good he is and how faithful he is to me? And Satan says, Well, of course he's faithful. You've given him everything. And the Lord says, well, even if I took everything away from him, Job would still worship me. And Satan says, want to bet? And so all of the livestock die. All of the children, all of Job's family, his wife are all killed. There's an earthquake and his home crushes into rubble. And as Job is sitting on the destroyed remains of his home, He's stricken with a terrible disease and covered in boils. And it's there that his friends find him. And after a time of silent compassion, they start talking. And the remainder of the book is an exchange between Job and his friends on the topic of why this has happened to him, why Job has lost everything. And over and over again, Job's friends say, you must have done something to anger God. You must have done something to deserve all of this. God wouldn't have taken it away for nothing. All you need to do is confess what you've done wrong, and God will restore everything. And Job insists throughout the story that he's done nothing to merit what he's lost. And so the exchange is between Job insisting on his own goodness and his friends with his best interests at heart, trying to get him to admit that this is his fault. And it becomes a sort of exploration of why bad things happen to good people. And what we have as our reading today is the end of the story. After this exchange between Job and his friends, the Lord appears in a whirlwind and says to Job and to Job's friends, where were you when I created the world? Basically, you have no standing to question anything I do. There are things going on in the universe that you can't possibly understand. And in response, the text says that Job repents. That Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. A better, newer translation suggests that the wording might have been something closer to Therefore, I repent, comforted that I am dust and ashes. 
and then miraculously all Job had lost, all that Job had lost was, just, was restored. All of his livestock, all of his friends, he had a new wife and he had daughters that the story suggested were ev- that were even more beautiful than his first batch of daughters. And Job dies old and full of days. Sort of a disturbing story, isn't it? (laughs) There's the idea that Satan, that God gives Satan permission to hurt human beings. There's the idea that children are sort of replaceable, like car bumpers that are paid for by insurance. And then there's the fact that Job goes through this terrible ordeal and at the end is told by God that he doesn't understand anything and he's comforted that he is dust and ashes. Sort of a mysterious story. And it's always troubled me until I read a beautiful translation of the book by Stephen Mitchell, who's better known for his translations of Tibetan Buddhist documents, but he took Uh, He wrote a beautiful translation of Job in which he argues that Job is a story about all of us and that at the beginning of the story, Job lives by a code that many of us also live by, often without realizing it, and that is a sort of implicit deal with God, and the deal is this, God, if I'm good, if I do everything right, if I work as hard as I can all the time, if I pray as hard as I can, if I manage to do nothing wrong, then everything will go okay for me. And then that deal also has a flip side, which is that if something does go wrong, it means that I've done something wrong. Now often, we wouldn't ever explicitly say this, but it's sort of the idea behind a lot of what we think. My mom always says, if something goes well, she says, oh, I must be living right. Or sometimes, have you wondered when something unexpectedly goes wrong, what you did to deserve it? Have you looked at someone else who's really suffering and maybe secretly thought, you know, it's probably because they did X or Y? Sometimes, even without being aware of it, we have that implicit bargain with God. That if we do good, good things will happen, and if we do bad, bad things will happen. And Mitchell says that Job has this deal with God, and so he lives with a kind of anxious goodness. The beginning of the story says that after each feast that Job shared with his family, the next day he would go and sacrifice, make sacrifices to God out of fear that maybe one of his children had sinned in their hearts. So there's sort of an anxious desire to make sure that whatever he does, he does so perfectly that God doesn't get mad and so he can hold on to his blessings. In the first drawing on the cover of your bulletin by William Blake, it's a little bit difficult to see, but it's a depiction of Job and his family at the beginning of the story. And they're all looking terribly prayerful, gazing up toward the heavens. They're not looking at each other. And there's a suggestion a little bit of anxiety of prayer that's happening in order to win good luck, to win God's favor. You can, it's a little bit hard to see, but at the tree, on the tree in the background, there are instruments not being played, hung up away from the family, 
that are not looking at each other, not connecting with one another. And that's Blake's depiction of this anxiety that so often we live with. Job, Mitchell says, then goes on to tell the story of letting go of that bargain with God. It's a story of doing battle with that idea. Job has to let go of the idea that his goodness will somehow win God's favor forever. Let go of the idea that his goodness means that only good things will happen to his li- in his life. And he has to make sense of the fact that sometimes bad things happen to good people. And that when bad things happen, somehow it doesn't mean that God has abandoned them. It doesn't mean that God is punishing them. So it's a story of letting go of the idea that we can make that bargain with God. It's a wrestling with the idea that whatever following God means, it's not that bargain where our goodness wins good luck. The story of Job is also a reminder that it's sad and it's scary to let go of that bargain. Because if we hold on to it, it means that we have control. I can be good enough in order to win protection for my family. I can be good enough in order to wrest from God the guarantee of a good and safe and happy life. And if I have to let go of that, it means I have to reckon with my own vulnerability and the vulnerability of those that I love. I'm left without control. The great Jewish philosopher and legal scholar Martha Nussbaum says this is the basic project of being human. It's to come to terms with the fact that we have plans and projects and it's not entirely in our control whether or not those come to fruition. That we will love people that we can't fully protect. And that to be human is to come to terms with who God is when that is true. But the message of Job is not just that we need to let go of that bargain, it's that there is something good on the other side of that mourning, of that letting go. There's something on the other side of that deal that is deeper and richer and better. Because Job, after insisting in this exchange with his friends that he's not being punished because of some sin that he's committed, Job encounters the living God. God comes to be present with him in his suffering. And Job is comforted that he is dust and ashes. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last I will see him on this earth, and I will meet him as a friend and not a stranger. That's what Job comes out with after wrestling with this idea, and that what he comes out with is richer and deeper than that bargain could ever have been. The second drawing on the cover of the bulletin is William Blake's picture of Job's second family. And you'll notice that it's a more joyful, more active depiction. Those instruments that used to be hanging unused on the tree are being played. The family members are looking at each other. There's an exchange. They're standing. They're active. They're engaged with one another and with God. And so Mitchell argues that's the message of the book of Job, that if we are able to let go of the fact that 
bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people, we are more able to see the presence of God with us in the good and in the bad. I had the privilege of um, performing the marriage of my cousin and her husband last night. I had to let go of saying I married my cousins because that, that sounds bad. But um, my cousin and her now husband met because uh, she was living in Houston, which has a major medical center. His father was there being treated for end-stage cancer, and that's how they met. And um, when he decided to ask Caroline, my cousin, to marry him, Tim went to his dad and said, Dad, I'm so sorry that by this point it was clear that his dad was dying. He said, I'm so sorry that this has happened to you, and I want you to know that out of this suffering, I met the woman that I'm going to create a family with, the love of my life. And he said he had this feeling that his dad was, what his dad was going to say in response would be really important, something that he would hold on to forever. And his dad looked at him and he said, son, and then Tim said he was ready to really write it down. He knew it was going to be something meaningful. He said, son, there are easier ways to meet girls. <laughs> And what I love about what Mr. Thompson said is that it was funny and it was a deep wisdom. It was a deep acknowledgement that life isn't that simple. That it wasn't um, on the one hand the, that this new family that was created didn't fully compensate for the pain of the loss of life that had happened. It was not a one-to-one -one ratio but that what was there was not just a simple reward for suffering. It was all worth it because this couple met. Instead, what he was saying is, it's not that easy, but that it, what it was was a sign of God's presence in the midst of suffering, not something that made suffering all worthwhile. And that too is the message of Job, that not that suffering is obliterated, but that it can be transformed by the presence of God. And that we can let, if we can let go of our sense that we can make ourselves invulnerable through being perfect, or that it's our own fault if we suffer, we can find a deeper and richer connection with the Lord. Amen. <laughs>